Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and infertility. Today we're going to be talking about how to talk with tweens and teens about adoption. This is a subject near and dear to the heart of every adoptive parent. I think you are really going to enjoy this show. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. The importance of staying connected. I notice uh, this could be a time of a family's life where there's a lot of conflict and I notice even in like our setting here in counseling, sometimes the conflict often revolve around things like school success. Mm. Um, so I tell the parents, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what their grades are going to be. The primary concern you have as a parent is your attachment to them. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Nonprofit. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. Uh, every week we tell you what our featured course is in our Adoption Ed for Parents Center. This week our featured course is Legal and Medical Risks in Domestic Infant Adoption. We talk with a adoption attorney and a adoption medicine specialist about things that people should consider uh, both legal and medical uh, when they're going into a domestic infant adoption. We are creating a family is, I should say, underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. We thank them for their continued support for making this show happen. In addition to Faring, we also have wonderful gold sponsors who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family or to post adoptive families. Some of our wonderful gold sponsors include MLJ Adoptions. They are a nonprofit Hague accredited adoption agency serving families across the United States who are interested in growing their families through international adoption. They also offer home study services to residents of Indiana. And we have children's, in, I mean, we have Holt International. They were founded in 1956 and they want every child to have a loving and secure home and they lead the global community in finding families for children who need them and providing the pre and post adoption support that they need. We also have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a Hague accredited adoption agency placing waiting children from around the world and offering home study and post adoption services to residents of North Carolina and New York. Those are some of our wonderful gold sponsors, but we also have other sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show. We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider choosing one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on our service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, types of adoption, just a host of factors that we think are important when choosing. And by using these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. 
The topic today is how to talk with tweens and teens about adoption. Our guest experts are Sean Delahant. He is a licensed clinical professional counselor and program director for the Center for Adoption Support and Education in Maryland. We also have Stephanie Ellison. She is the China Waiting Child Advocate with Children's House International. She has been an adoption specialist for more than 20 years, and her real claim to fame for this show is that she is the adoptive mom to 12, uh, both through U.S. foster care adoption and international adoption, and she is currently in the midst of parenting seven teens and one tween. Welcome, both Sean and Stephanie. Uh, to uh, to this uh, to this course today on how to talk with tweens and teens about adoption. We're so glad to have you. Sean, you Don. Like Thanks, Don. Great. I'd, Sean, I'd like to start with you uh, with a kind sure. of a general question that's more of a developmental uh, thing. How do children process adoption as tweens, say from 10 to 12 or 13, something like that? And then and then how does it change as they age into their teenage years? Well, the word developmental is a good place to start. Um, this is a, a crucial time of life for for humans. It's a, kind of a threshold moment where we develop from like the, the childhood way of thinking about things to more mature ways of thinking. Uh, our neurological development is kind of going through a, a new phase. And so you'll notice with uh, all children and preteens at this age, they kind of, they start to have different interests and they have a different view of the world and certainly they have a different view of themselves. So they process adoption in a way that kind of goes hand in hand with that type of development. Uh, Prior to kind of that preteen time of life, uh, children don't have um, as much, obviously, a, a mature idea of themselves in the world. Um, and you'll notice kids at this age, uh, they start to have kind of leaps in the way they, um, they're able to process things, uh, what we would call more of a, an a, they're able to understand abstracts better. And adoption is it's kind of an abstract uh, concept. So prior to this age, it's difficult to really, for children to wrap their heads around the bigger picture of what adoption is. Um, so at this age, like the, the tween age, say like 10 to 12 in that, in that age range, um, the children are starting to ask bigger questions. They, they have a better concept of loss. So uh, they'll start to ask more focused questions about who they are and how the adoption happened, that you'll hear more focused why questions. And it, um, and kind of like in the developmental stages of an adoptive family, it puts challenges on the parents because a lot of these questions and con- concerns will fall on the shoulders of the parents. Um, mm-hmm. And another important so thing to consider at the, teen, at the teen and tween age is uh, one of the big things to consider is identity formation. Um, as you know, with uh, teenagers, uh, you'll start to see they – have more of an interest in like their social connections, who they are, who their peers are, and also who they are. Uh, you'll see differences in the way they dress, the way they present themselves to the world. Prior to that, you know, as children, they kind of just go along with whatever parents present to them. But now it's different. What about the uh, the the sense of of 
permanence. Um, Our children at this age, um, do we often see them beginning to, as they're coming to terms with the greater sense of what adoption means, to start questioning the permanence if their if their first family was not permanent, then would their adoptive family be permanent? Stephanie, is that something that we can, we see uh, in some tweens and teens? This insecurity about their permanence. Stephanie. Oops. Go ahead, Sean. Why don't you take that? I think we're having a problem here. Sure. uh, Yeah, Stephanie's got a sound problem going on. We'll work on that. Uh, Sean, if you could take that question. Sure, no problem. Um, You know, as you were asking the question, I was thinking, you know, one of the concerns is at what age was the child placed or adopted? Uh, And that could have a a kind of a a spin on the way to answer this question. the, Valid point, yeah. the concerns about yeah. the, the concerns about permanence um, are lifelong concerns for an adoptee. So whether it's a, a child or a teenager, you'll see. Um, and I guess the the way it manifests itself is is kind of reflected in the age of the child. Um, certainly, one of the the hallmarks of adolescence and pre-adolescence is a child's or a preteen's. Um, view of autonomy, um, their ability to kind of be in the world as an individual with less support from parents. So when we're talking about permanence, there's kind of this this interesting duality. One is, um, you know, you'll see teenagers and preteens kind of they're, they're flexing their muscles in terms of how independent can they be. Um, Mm -hmm. So, Sometimes they'll think they don't need – it doesn't matter if there's as much permanence because in their minds they could do this all themselves, which, of course, Mm -hmm. it's not true. It's just kind of that that fallacy of of being a a young teenager. Um, But, of course, it becomes kind of an important concern for adoptive teens and preteens, the need for the child and the family to have – a better understanding of permanency and forever family, um, because a lot of times the kids they don't they don't have a good sense that it's it's real. Like they'll often have the fear that they could lose their their placement or their home. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, it it yes it does. By about let's say age thirteen, what information about adoption do we want to make sure that our children know? Um, and it doesn't have to be that there's not a magical age, I realize, but but right. what are some of the things that we want to make certain that as our children enter their teen years that they know about adoption? Sean? Sure, it's a good question. Yeah, and it's it's a question we're asked frequently. Um, a lot of children that we work with and, and that are in our homes, um, they've come through very difficult beginnings, and often it's like, you know, it's information uh, or it's like kind of a life history um, that might have trauma and abuse, neglect. Um, so it's difficult information for uh, children to be considering, and it's also difficult information for us as parents to be sharing with kids. Uh, we believe that it's important for the teenagers to have as much information as we have. In other words, kind of being very open and honest with them. And I think you kind of put it 
in a way, it's like, you know, it's kind of a question of when. Um, certainly uh, how we talk to the, the children and teens about this is important um, because it, sometimes they can't process it properly. Uh, one thing we need to consider is the developmental age of the child. It doesn't mean um, just because a child is, say, 11 or 12, that doesn't mean necessarily that they're able to think like an 11 or 12-year-old. Uh, very often, um, I'll ask parents, well, I know your child is, however old they are, let, let's say they're 11. I know your child's 11 years old, but like maybe socially, how old are they? Or emotionally, how old are they? And inevitably, you'll have the parents say, oh, you know, well, even though my child's 11, maybe emotionally, they, they could be eight years old. They feel more like... Um, uh, maybe socially, they're also functioning at a few years younger than their actual age. So the way we talk to the children about some of these uh, difficult um, questions they may have or the, diffi uh, the difficult components of their history, you can't talk to them at their actual age level. You have to kind of scale it down, uh, especially, and, you know, and some of these things are difficult to talk about. We actually have a question from somebody in the audience, so let me read that and uh, somebody, one of our communities sent in. Let me read that, and that I think will aid us in this discussion. Uh, she says, uh, I, found, I found creating a family two years ago and have learned so much. Thank you. However, I also now realize that I may have handled something wrong. I recently listened to two courses you did on talking with kids about difficult issues. The experts encourage parents to share the child's full story with them because it is their story. We did not do that when our son was younger. He is now 13, almost 14, and is the most delightful and well-adjusted young man in the world. He was adopted at birth. His birth father was an awful man who beat and raped his birth mother. He was also a drug dealer and has been in prison for the last 10 years and will be there for at least two more years. We have never shared this information with my son because we did not want him to feel bad about himself and because we didn't even know how to talk about it. We thought we would wait until he was older. When he has asked about his birth father, which has only happened maybe once or twice, we told him that we didn't know anything, which is actually not the truth, but we did it out of the desire to protect him. Now what do we do? So I I think that uh, Lorraine is not, or this person is not alone. Um, I think that... Um, uh, I think that we often think that children, uh, we don't want to hurt our kids. We don't want them to feel bad about themselves, as she mentioned. So uh, by, around, uh, by entering adolescence, we want our kids to have their story. Uh, so first of all, and that's what you were just saying, um, and we encourage people to lay the groundwork for the story early on, and, and then each time you tell the story, fill in a little more information at an age-appropriate level with the aim for somewhere before uh, adolescence uh, that you've shared all the information you have. But what would somebody like this person, her name is Lorraine, what would, uh, what would she do when that's not what she's done and she has an almost 14-year-old now who has no information uh, about his, uh, his birth father? Is this a question for me? Yes, yes, Sean, thank you. Okay, so uh, Lorraine, give yourself a bit of a pass on this one. In other words, uh, don't don't be so critical that you've done something that you feel is not right. Uh, I think the age of 13, 14, it's a really good time to have um, 
much more mature discussions about the concerns that you've raised. And, you know, it is so common, it is so typical for uh, for us as parents, we want to be protective of our kids. And often in the, um, in the process of trying to be protective, we struggle with, you know, how much truth do we, do we, uh, do we give in some of these difficult discussions? Uh, and one of the things you uh, you mentioned is your child is very well adjusted. He's in a good place. So you know it seems like this is a, the perfect time to have the bigger discussion. Um, but also, like you said, you you weren't truthful. You kind of hid some of the truth. So you might want to start your conversation there, and that is just being very honest. And you, the conversation might sound like. Um, the discussion might begin with an apology and saying, you know, part of being your parent is I'm very protective of you and I love you so much and I want, you know, I want to make sure that your life is as good as possible. So I want to apologize now and just tell you that, you know, I, in, in trying to be protective, maybe I went a bit too far and I didn't tell you some really important things. And now that I can see that you're so mature and you're you're brilliant and you know you're just this wonderful child or actually you know what wonderful wonderful <laughs> wonderful young man teenager however you want to say it um, now is a really good time to share like some important facts about where you've come from and then you begin the process of you know putting out some of those hard facts um, and it sounds like your connection, your bond with your child is strong. So I, I would I would have a pretty good feeling that your child, even though they may they may feel a little strange that they hadn't had this information before, um, they they'd be able to get over that part of it that you weren't so honest. Um, but now you've kind of like you're you're creating this new chapter in your lives as a family in putting out this really important information. And. Uh, Sean, one last question on this on this topic, and I think parents want to make certain that their children know that this was something that happened that that was involving in this case a birth father, um, and that it doesn't reflect upon the child or 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 dictate where the child is going to go. Could you share some words that just an example of how you might uh, approach that? Uh, type of conversation with your child when you say your birth father, uh, you know, sold drugs and and was violent towards your birth mother, and uh, and is now in prison. Uh, how can we make certain, Sean, that 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 then uh, that the child does not internalize and say, well, you know, I come from bad stuff. Right. No, it's a really good question, and it's a particularly good question to be considering for a teen. Because, uh, like I said earlier, one of the big um, developmental components of being a teenager is identity formation. So at this age, children are looking to uh, adoptive parents for a sense of who they are and identity. And they're also looking to birth family for that sense of identity. And it's a process of kind of picking and choosing what fits um, you know, the teen years are pretty rocky in that it's it's watching our our children try things on, in other words, behaviors or or thoughts um that may not fit properly for them and it looks awkward. Uh, sometimes children will try 
Um, you know, it's a, a time of experimentation. They may take um, the opportunity to experiment with drugs or substance abuse. Um, and then often there is that kind of that that connection to uh, the, the knowledge of how birth family may have had connections with substance abuse. So being a parent at this point, it's it, you know it feels kind of tentative and a little scary. Um, it's important that we as parents will let our kids know that we understand this is a time where you as children, you're you know you're exploring these questions um, and. We understand that you can make mistakes, but also it's important to understand that um, some mistakes um, will will impact us in bigger ways, in ways that may be difficult to get out of. Um, and also, really, as, as parents of adoptive teens, letting them know that we understand that their birth families may have struggled with really difficult um, activities, like dangerous activities, and uh, the children, the, the adoptive teen may feel like they, they want to explore that to kind of get an understanding of what their birth parent was ex- experiencing. Uh, so it's kind of like putting out information that we understand that these things happen, uh, that they may have a curiosity, um, but um, you know there are consequences to it, of course. I think it's also helpful to... Uh, put the birth parent's action in context if you know it. Don't make it up, but if you know it, uh, your birth father uh, was raised in a, um, you know, in a, uh, by a, a mother who was uh, also uh, drug dependent, um, or your birth father never uh, had, was not, you know, was raised on the streets, or whatever it is you know, and that it influenced his life and the decisions he made and that um and that he's not necessarily a, a bad person but he he didn't have a lot of the breaks that you have in life and 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 made some poor choices so put it in context as opposed to um so that your child can distinguish the choices they can make and the choices they have um that that's mm-hmm. relevant I think Stephanie, we have worked out your sound problem. So let me yes, uh, direct. Yes, I this, think so. <laughs> good. Let me direct this next question to you. This is one that came in from one of our community. She said, uh, "Her name is Beth. We've always had an open discuss- We've always had open discussions about adoption with our daughter. We are in a semi-open adoption and share pictures and letters a couple of times a year. My daughter is 11, and she now doesn't want to talk about adoption." at all. I worry that there is a lot going on inside of her, but she shuts down all attempts by me to talk, and she doesn't want to write to her birth mother either. So, uh, Stephanie, how common is it for um, this child is uh, uh, 11, so she's in the tween Mm -hmm. times, but I think this kind of also goes up into early teen years, too, sometimes. How common is it for uh, what used to be a child who was very open about talking about adoption to uh, to roll their eyes, sigh deeply, and say, oh, Mom, do we have to talk about that? Right. And I think as adoptive parents, too, we often wonder, is this an adoption issue? Is this a developmental issue? And a lot of times yep. we have both going on. And yes. so at this age anyway, you know, they want to have the same shirt as their friend. They want to have the same um, shoes and they the same likes and dislikes. And so they're already starting to do a little bit of that. Um, and especially if you have a child who might not have the same color as their parents. Um, 
they just want to be the same as their friends. And so they don't want to make something that even makes them more different or more um, outside of the circle of their friends. So I think you need to just be aware that that's common. I think this happens with more children than it doesn't. Um, I know it's painful. I, I don't know what the birth mother's uh, reaction has been to the lack of communication, but I'm sure that is painful for her as well. And so the adoptive mother, I'm sure, worries about all three of them in in this triad. Mm-hmm. Including herself. But knowing... Yeah. Uh, so from a parent's standpoint... Um, how often do we bring up the topic, or do we just drop the topic and at this point, the topic being adoption issues or anything related to adoption, and wait for our children, or do we continue to periodically bring it up uh, to see if that's uh, something that, uh, that our child is uh, willing or able to talk about? I think we need to do both. I think we don't need to put the adoption um, topic under the rug. We we need to still discuss it. It's still a part of who we are. It's a part of how we built our family, and it's a part of how our family operates. So I would continue to bring it up but not really make that – make that a difficult situation for her at this point. Kind of let her take the lead a little bit in how much she wants to talk about it. But don't totally uh, go dark on that subject either. I always use the analogy that I throw it out there and then allow my children to decide whether to catch it or not. (laughs) And That's an excellent analogy. And they'll let you know if they're even in... Yeah, they'll, if they're yeah. even in the ballpark of being able to catch it. Yeah, exactly. And and just as often as not, they don't catch it. But that's okay. I know that I've thrown it out there so that they at least know that that I am open to the conversation. That's uh, correct. And, and they and, can come to yeah. you when they do feel like that they are ready to say some things. That it won't feel as awkward because it hasn't been talked about for a while. Therefore, yeah. Sean, yeah. is it common for children over the age of, say, around 10 to feel have feelings of of disloyalty to their adoptive parents if they do talk about their birth parents or if they do wonder about their birth parents or if they've got an open adoption relationship if they're more if they're actively wanting to have a have more relationship is there a feeling of of somehow that they're not uh that they're not honoring their adoptive parents and 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 what can parents do to help children if that is an issue Yes. Uh, Well, the answer is yes. Uh, Children at the age of 10, even younger and certainly older, do have, uh, very often will have a sense of uh, concern about how much maybe they will talk about their birth family um, or even admit to things like they miss their birth family or they want to see them or be with them. Uh, One of the best things uh, an adoptive parent can do is let their child know that they fully understand that that desire it is um it is very common uh so it's really good when we could let our kids know that this is a normal process uh in growing up adopted um it's good for parents to be role models and sometimes they could even take a first step by saying you know i wonder what I wonder what your birth mom is thinking about on your birthday. You know, is it, um, is, are they, uh, our birth family, you know, are they considering what it was like to, to not have you in, in their home anymore? Um, 
So it's kind of like taking the initiative and making it normal and okay to have conversations about what the child may feel is kind of forbidden because like uh, part of uh, being adopted is sometimes uh, adopted children feel they have they uh, they're creating an alliance with one set of parents or the other. Um, they feel kind of like stuck, um, and this often happens uh, at about this age. I think it becomes more prominent at, at the tween years. Here's a question we received. Um, she says, my daughter seems to be very angry at her birth parents for the choices they made in life that led to her being in foster care and ultimately to our adopting her. How do we help her? Uh, creating a family always says to speak respectfully about birth parents to our kids, but what if it's the child that is speaking disrespectfully about the birth parent? And I should also add that we received another question that was very similar to this, and she added to that. She said, also, how do you handle it if some of that anger is also directed to the adoptive parents? The, you know, I wouldn't be adopted if you hadn't adopted me, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephanie, thoughts on helping mm-hmm. our children? Uh, let's start with anger towards birth parents, and then we'll swing back to anger at adoptive parents. Well, I think we need to validate that anger because there are reasons to be angry about the choices that were made that led to where they are. Um, Adoption is a wonderful thing, but there's often so many challenges and and sadnesses to get us to that situation, to the final place. Um, I think we need to validate those those feelings of anger, but also explore more what she is feeling and what she's angry about, um, and and um, try to, as Sean had said before, and you had also alluded to, of talking about why these parents might have made these decisions, and and kind of talk through that situation might be helpful as well. Okay, Sean, any thoughts on that before we move to about anger directed towards adoptive parents? Any thoughts on? Um, when our children are are speaking disrespectfully uh, towards about their birth parents, I mean it's their right to do. But well, how think, do we as parents? Sure, I, Stephanie, I, I agree with you. I think it's good to validate uh, these feelings of anger. Um, I think there's a lot of sadness under that anger. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that comes out as anger, is sadness. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Very much. Uh, so it's helping the children understand that. Um, uh, it's kind of, it's an odd position to be in as a parent because on one hand, yes, you want to validate um, and, uh, you know, let the child know that their feelings are normal and certainly it's, it's okay to express anger. But um, it's also a good thing to do uh, to find, maybe not in that moment, but to help your child find what's, what are some of the positives in um some of the birth uh, family members, even though if it feels like there's just absolutely nothing that that could be identified as a positive, um, there there really are some things that could be found. Uh, it's just it's a matter of being uh, open-minded to that. Uh, and I'm not saying kind of like in a Pollyannish way, just saying, oh, you know, actually things are pretty good. Uh, clearly they weren't. So it's like, um, again, just to emphasize, like, the need for validation, uh, but also, like, gently challenging the child at times. 
Um, maybe even it could even be a good moment to educate a child about, you know, uh, for instance, like what substance abuse is really about. When, right. when people are mm-hmm. struggling with drugs or alcohol, they really they lose the opportunity, they lose the ability to make good choices, even mm-hmm. if they really wanted to make good choices. So, uh, and they're at the age now where they could really have a better understanding about what uh, what some of these like uh, difficult uh, parent uh, choices are, for instance, like substance abuse. Well, you know, speaking of substance abuse, we know that there, are, or we believe, there is good evidence to indicate that there is a, a ten, that, that there's not one gene that would control that, but we do believe that the tendency um, the, to become addicted can be something that is inherited. And mm-hmm. our children, if they have a, a parent that uh, was addicted, uh, have, do have that possibility as well. So it is a great time to start it educating is. in general our children about yes. uh and and being up front and saying you have you you have some of these genes as well and uh, yes. right. it doesn't mean that's going to happen but we can we need to be you need to be aware of it right more so yes and i would say more so with our kids than with just about any other population of kids in certainly as a counselor I make it uh, a priority to have discussions about substance abuse. Um, I think, and like you said, it's like it's important for anybody, certainly at that age, to know about what substance abuse is, but more so for children that have been through um, some of the traumatic uh, experiences of being in birth families where uh, substance abuse was active. And definitely like that educational piece, which is letting uh, the children know that there is a genetic piece, so they are they are predisposed, or they are more likely to have struggles with substance abuse uh, than, say, the average population. Exactly, and that they need to be aware of it. And if they uh, choose when they're of age to drink or to take drugs, they need to be very cognizant of. Uh, of a tendency towards addiction and then and, and recognize that the downsides and some of the negative behaviors that are, are directly reflected well so that yes. we've talked about children's anger at their at their birth parents but on occasion our children who are feeling frustrated and 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 and, and dissatisfied with some of the issues that that adoption brings sometimes they they turn that anger towards their adoptive parents and with the if if i hadn't been if you hadn't adopted me i wouldn't be having this problem uh mm-hmm. stephanie thoughts on that mm-hmm. uh, what a parent can do when their when their child is is directing their anger at them well, we become the targets because we're the only ones still there. Uh, so we need to be able to listen to that. But also I think it's hard for us um, not to take it personally. But it's not just we're the ones that are, are there to take the grief, to take the sadness, to take the anger. Um, I think we need to validate with our kids that, that we understand that they're upset, but also stand up for ourselves and said, you know, we're here, we'll stay here, we'll always be here. Um, And I'm sorry you feel that way, and I validate that. But we're glad that we did this, and we're here, and we'll always be here for you. Sean, how often do kids tend to idolize uh, birth families, either when they have an open but perhaps not a daily or a weekly or monthly contact 
the but, but or, or or totally closed the my birth mom would let me you know stay up till midnight on a school night to watch right. you know the, the, the oh, late sure. show or whatever yeah how often is that <laughs> well, an issue with adopted yeah. kids yeah unfortunately that does come up quite a bit um it's it's a lot of fantasy though because the children are also aware of some of the really awful times that they've been through and certainly you know it sounds like you're referring to perhaps a child that was adopted as an older child and they've well, had no, that either, depth of either an infant or it doesn't wouldn't matter i mean just that uh, yeah either way but you're right i think the the issue oh, yeah. would be different sure like kind of creating the sense that things would have been better um but yeah that is very common um it's often kind of when you hear those words, it's often kind of the introduction for the potential for a conflict. So as a parent, you need to be very um, aware of your your own like uh, your own ability to kind of extract yourself from an argument. Um, if your child is in a position where they just they're really stuck in an angry or hostile moment, it's probably best to you know do things that would be more calming, um, perhaps even distracting, as opposed to engaging in a conversation Mm -hmm. that might become a conflict. If the child is, however, in a a place where they they can be uh, in a a mutual conversation, then it would be a good time for a parent to have more of a a discussion about the realities if if the, the child is able to hear that. And if if we're in an if you are in an open adoption relationship, bringing the birth parents in um, to uh, also uh, talk to the child. Um, no, I actually probably wouldn't let you stay up till midnight. You know, <laughs> maybe on the weekends, <laughs> yes. but not during the week. Uh, to uh, if if you have that form of relationship uh, with the with the birth parents. Uh, Stephanie, some strategies. Mm-hmm. We had a question from someone. Strategies for dealing uh, effectively when your child appears to be, or actually your young adult, when your teen appears to be rejecting you, but in in reality is just separating from you in a developmentally appropriate way. I think we as we as parents sometimes yeah. um, uh, don't recognize the distinction between what is a developmentally normal separation. And uh, and what feels to be uh, to us like rejection. So, thoughts on that and strategies for parents on how to how to deal with it. Well, I think the first place, like you said, let's decide if this is a developmental issue or if this is an adoptive issue. And so we need to know developmentally how our kids should be. Um, and uh, there's a lot of education on that for us to know. Uh, but it's painful when our children are trying to separate. Um, and uh, so I think we do um, as much as we can together as a family to do the activities that they continue to like to do, um, but also step back and say, you know, he's becoming an adult or he's becoming older and wants to separate a little bit, and it's scary for us because I think sometimes as adoptive families we feel like we might lose them completely um, and especially if they decide they want to do a birth parent search or something like that. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think deep down, I think that is something that adoptive parents often worry about in the teen years and, and when they leave for college. Um, it, it, deep down, 
many of us wonder, is our connection strong enough to, to let them go and, really? know, and, and but that they'll be back with us, you know, that in their hearts we're still here for them. Um, that they'll and, want us still, yeah. Yes, are, are, yeah, exactly. Or will they still want us? Um, is yeah. that tie strong enough? Uh, and yet we also wouldn't want to think that we're tying them down. We wouldn't even, you know, in our minds we would reject the very idea that we're trying to, you know, cling to our children because, of course, we yeah. at least in theory think that we should be setting them free and letting them fly. <laughs> but as hard as that is, it's one of the most complex times in an adoptive family's life because, you know, one of the biggest uh tasks for a parent, an adoptive parent, is helping the child bond and attach properly. But then, of course, there's the natural developmental stage for a teen's separation. And often at the time when separation is occurring, attachment is still happening. It's still like that. It's in a, a, like almost developmentally lagged for a lot of the, the kids we're raising. So or it's, it's still very like fragile. Time. Yeah. It is. Yes, yeah, so it's a tough time for both the child and the fa- uh, the parent. So a, a good thing to consider is like what we do here in a session is we'll have a conversation about um, if, the, if the teen is younger, we'll have the conversation about what to expect as they get older so they're not confused because often they feel like there's something wrong with them or they're bad that they're you know, having these like radically different feelings, very uh, opposite feelings of kind of like a sense of wanting to attach more, but also of wanting to distance and, and get away. Yeah, As you, it, it it really seems complex because you're right. Yeah, often it is. Time, it's particularly and with I, older child adoptions. Yeah. Right, well, and it's, and I was going to say that with the older kids, um, they're not really ready to leave at eighteen. Um, right. developmentally, you're going to have them a little bit longer. They're, um, but they feel this pressure of all their kids, of all their friends separating and going off to college. Yeah. And it's hard for them because they don't feel quite ready to do that. So they also need right. permission to be able to be later in that and that you can stay. Yeah, and that an and explanation as to why. You know, that uh, these other people had from birth and, and right. we only got you when you were seven. So, you know, in yeah. theory, we have seven. We, not that we necessarily want it for seven more years, but, you know, we, we need, it's okay if you want more time. Yeah. Because, yeah. in truth, you deserve more time, that type of thing. Right. Um, here's a question from Danny. She says uh, she'd like some help on how to deal with things out of our control as parents and out of our child's control as a child. Her example is. We have been waiting for what seems like forever for the state to send papers to our attorney so that he can file the adoption petitions. I mean, months we've been waiting, and our son is so antsy. We don't know how to calm him and assure him that things are still moving forward when things move so slow. What can uh, some thoughts of, some words of wisdom to help Danny and her son, Sean? Empathy. It just you know it's <laughs> as much empathy as possible sometimes um parents will get frustrated with the child's response like you know well you need instead of saying something well you know what sweetheart you need to be more patient um it's more of uh more of touching on the emotional piece which was oh you know i'm so sorry i i also really want to see this information as soon as possible 
and, you know, kind of sharing from your own perspective, like saying as a role model, we could say things like, you know what, when things just take so long and I'm just so interested in seeing all this information, I'm feeling like I'm feeling very sad, I'm feeling angry, uh, you know, kind of putting out there the, the range of possible feelings. And that's the empathy piece. And this child has, is likely been through transition um, and just really nervous that this is actually going to come to fruition. What if something happens and I have to go again? You know, that whole permanency is, in, is, is a worry right now until those papers are signed. And I'm sure uh, the mom and, is worried as well, you know. Um, but yeah, that empathy of I know I'm I'm frustrated too, and this just seems like it's taking forever. I know I understand. I actually Excellent. had a session yesterday where this came up. Um, the parents are adopting um, children, and they're they're actually tweens, two children, and they waited six months between the time the agency said that uh, these children would be. Uh, they would be initially fostering these children. It took over six months between the time when they were informed and the time that they could actually communicate with the children. And I know for a fact both the children and the parents were frantic during that time because they they both thought there was something wrong. They thought there was something wrong on their end, like what did we do to create this problem? So when I met with the family yesterday, like they had not even had that discussion yet about how each of them felt this way. So mm-hmm. I brought it up and it was kind of a good moment because they all admitted to feeling exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And acknowledging it so that, uh, so that at least it's out in the open. That's an excellent mm-hmm. idea. You are listening to an interview with creating a family. We primarily keep in touch with our community through our weekly e-newsletter. You can keep up with what uh, the current happenings and developments in adoption, as well as the upcoming week's blog and uh, uh, and radio show topic. Uh, You can sign up for our weekly newsletter on any page of our website, creatingafamily.org. It's in the top right-hand side. Please sign up and join us. Uh, the next question we have is uh, it's one I think that a lot of parents face, and that is how to handle the lack of information about birth fathers, especially when you're, this, this particular person that was asking has a son. She said, especially when your child is male, what to be on the lookout for and how to help them as they build their own image of what a man and a father is. Stephanie, some thoughts on that. Often we have much more information on birth mothers than we do on birth fathers. And so how do we, without making things up, how do we help our children, particularly our males, when they're in this stage of identity formation? That's a good question because I have so many children who we know nothing about either parent. So everything is an unknown. Uh, I think we can... uh, in our house, we try to concentrate on on the traits that we see in our kids because we do know genes have a, a part in how we're made up. And and we say, you know, I, your birth father, I bet, could have been really athletic because I see that in you or um, the kindness or the empathy that this child feels to others. You know, I wonder if you got that from your birth father or um, I wonder how – 
your birth father would feel about this, and so we have discussions about that. Um, uh, it, it's difficult, though, when you don't know anything. Yeah, it is. Uh, Sean, any thoughts on that when, when you either know nothing or very yeah. little? Sure, and and specifically about birth father, um, that just to be it, certainly a lot of the work we do, it really focuses on birth mom, and unfortunately birth dad just seems to be left out of the picture. So as a counselor, I, I make the point of kind of bringing birth dad into the, the equation. Um, often um, it's just a, the figure that's left out. Um, so being more proactive about inserting um, kind of this mysterious absent figure, and when I say, you know, that would be either be you as parents or we as counselors, just being more proactive about that. Um, and also kind of getting an understanding of, like, what are the, what are the stereotypes of, of birth father and kind of having more of a discussion about that. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, like you said, there's just there is no information. There's just nothing there, um, and, and it's hard. So it's also again coming back to empathy, um, supporting the children and letting them know it's it's tough growing up, especially during this like identity formation time, and not having anything solid. It's like just kind of having these vague thoughts of what what could be out there as birth father. Is it helpful um, to enter discussions with adopted children about genetics, what we know is controlled by genes and what we know is not, and, and the reality of what we know, which is that uh, we're uh, that nature versus nurture is really more nature and nurture because it's a complex interplay between the two, because our teens have a better capacity for uh, for comprehending what is a very complex topic, is this a good time for us as a family to start exploring uh, genetics and, and, uh, and what is happening in the, in the field of genetics as far as what we know and what we don't know? Uh, Sean? Yes, it's a very good time. And again, it comes like, you know, this is a time where thoughts of identity are prominent. Uh, we have a game that we we present to the teens. We have a teen group, um, and the game looks at uh, we have three boards, and one board says birth family at the top. The other says adoptive family at the top, and the third one says self. And then we have a little bag filled with a variety of characteristics of a person. It could be physical characteristics. It could be preferences, it could be all sorts of things that kind of make up a personality. And then uh, at random, the teens will choose one of the items, and then they have to put it on which board they think it comes from. So mm. it might be hair color, which is obviously genetics, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes I'll tease them and I'll say, well, today Jane came here with purple hair. Is that genetic <laughs> or is that self? You know, because it's a time where we're trying on different things. Um, mute, the um, the love of music, what is that? Does that come from uh, adoptive family, religion, um, you know, height, uh, preference for a type of food? It's a great time to consider how are we connected genetically to birth family as and how that makes uh, a part of who we are. How are we also created by our adoptive family? And then there's that unique piece, which is, well, 
perhaps there's something that's just something you create on your own. This is just like the third element of how we how you cr- are are who you are, and that's just something that the 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 youth has created on their own that has nothing to do with birth family or adoptive family. That's a great idea, but I would want to have yeah, fun. Uh, more than one. I mean, I, like for certain things, I would want to say the love of music. I would want to have be able to put one in birth family as Both well as five. potentially yeah. in adoptive family. Yeah, yeah, or even in self. It inevitably, <laughs> yeah, and that always and that's a great part of this game is at some point there'll be heated discussion about you know well is this truly something that is genetic or is it something uh, is it a component of uh, being part of your adoptive family and you know sometimes there are very clear ideas of what is genetic um, but then sometimes it's it's not so clear but so it's more of an opportunity for them to explore like how are they how are they created as a person how do they create themselves as a person that's great, and, and it, the more we know about ge- the genetics, about genetics now, and the more studies that are coming out, the less we know, and the less we think is controlled yeah. by one or the other. It's, it's fascinating. Sean, let me, approach, let me let me give this question to you as well. Uh, sure. I thought it was such a good one. It, it's how to broach the discussion of birth parent search with your child. How to set the stage that it that you as parents will support it if the child chooses it, but not to imply to the child that they should choose it or that they should search or or that all adoptive people do search. But to but we want mm-hmm. our children to know and this is obviously if uh it's a closed it's an international adoption or a closed a domestic mm-hmm. adoption. How do Give us some suggestions on how, as a parent, we can display openness without implying to our children that they should or shouldn't do it. Sure. Well, again, it's like kind of educating the children and letting them know that it is a very common interest for adoptees to have uh, a desire to search or to find people, to find birth family, Um, and also to really stipulate it's important that if that is their desire to do it in a safe way uh it's an interesting like confluence of events at this age kind of the sense of wanting the connection and also becoming very tech savvy and now that we have um you know uh online media sites where you can just connect with infinite amounts of people and you know so what we're seeing now in the past 10 years is this like explosion of uh of the opportunities to directly search for birth family uh before it was really complex you had to like have physical records you had to like physically walk to a place uh to get something printed to find out information and now it's just like every home has a computer with internet connection it is so prevalent. It's it's a big problem in some cases. Uh, so it's really tempering uh, the youth's desire or interest um, and letting them know that it's a normal thing to consider that and also letting them know that, you know, there are ways to do it that are safe. Um, and, you know, some children will not have the desire. But, uh, I always, I'm always a little suspicious when I hear someone say, I have no interest in searching um, there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe they do have that interest, but it's just too painful to consider mm. now. I think it's there. I don't know, though, because I, I, I have in the process of interviewing a lot of adult adoptees, and um, it, I think it 
partly may have something to do with just temperament. Some people are just inherently more curious than others. Um, and sure. uh, And perhaps also the... Yeah, how great the, the how how difficult the burden would be, how hard would it be, you know, to to right. you know, if it's just so much as typing in a name in the computer would be relatively easy versus in an international adoption, for instance, it would take a lot of time. Um, and uh, I know some adoptees feel that they almost feel pressured that they should search because it's abnormal mm-hmm. that if they don't, right? And uh, and and I I guess for me, I want my children to know that. Either way is fine. You know, you you are fine. If you yeah. don't choose to, that's okay. But if you do, I'm here to help. So there are, yeah, and there are sometimes uh, when the parent, the adoptive parent, has more interest than the child, and, mm-hmm. and in that case, right. it may be important. It may be important for uh, the parent to say, "I understand and I perfectly respect that you don't have the interest that I do." And how would you feel? If I, as a parent, searched, and then I would certainly keep the information private unless you wanted to have that info, um, because sometimes, you know, it, it is important for um, adoptive parents to have kind of like some type of resolution for themselves, like they want to have information. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of making this an open discussion. Mm-hmm. That's a great idea. Uh, Stephanie, Let's uh, any discussion of of talking about uh, adoption with teens and tweens would would be incomplete if we don't uh, raise the issue of transracial adoption and what different issues uh, do transracial adoptees face in their uh, teens and tweens and and how can adoptive parents uh, be effective at helping their children navigate these or not their children their young adults. <laughs> their young people uh, navigate these issues, uh, the transracial adoption issues? Well, it's something that they have to deal with every single day. Uh, I have a son who, when he became high school age and, and I would go to the school and he would introduce me to his friends, the first thing he would say is, this is my mom and, yeah, she's white and I'm brown. Um, because it was so, the looks then, the explanation he'd always have to give. So he just would say that from the beginning. This is my mom. She's white. I'm brown. And we would get that out of the way. Um, but uh, they also need to know that they can explore what their cultural roots are and, and make friends. Some of them are a little hesitant to also join, you know, they're going to be going to college. There's going to be groups of, you know, the Chinese club, the whatever clubs that they have, and um, encourage them to take that opportunity to become friends with more um, people who are actually from their culture and not adopted into white families, which is the situation at our house. Thoughts, uh, Sean, anything in addition to that specific towards transracial adoptees? This is a big topic for families, and it's something we're just, we've been so far behind uh, this concern, this uh, really important uh, family dynamic. We're just now kind of scratching the surface on how important it is, and it's becoming a big part of um, our training and our understanding of adoptive families. Um, this And I, I like uh, Stephanie. The story you told is is interesting. It could go so many ways. So your son is kind of he's creative and like preemptively getting ahead of his peers, like 
you know, questions and right. it's like he it's knows a way what's of just coming kind of, next. It's like, yes, of course. So he's like he's kind of anticipating what's going to happen, and then he's taking care of it before it does. Um, he's a take towards some God. kids. Yeah, he is. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but uh some kids are are not like that and they're very uh they're very shy about it and often embarrassed. So, you know, as as parents it's important to uh get your child as much uh support as possible. Certainly having that discussion at home. Um but it's also it's such a big topic. Sometimes counseling is uh really needed and often um very much needed on the parents' side because uh, one of the things that happens in our culture is we, we tend to be colorblind or culture blind, uh, which is kind of a, a nice way of saying uh, we don't really respect what the differences are and we try to gloss over them. It's kind of a way of taking care of our own pain and our own fear as well as trying to uh, compensate for the children's fear and pain. Uh, so it is important to be very well versed in uh, cultural concerns uh, of what transracial adoption is. And uh, how do the the issues of of uh, clothing and identifying and music and uh, uh, our children who are transracially adopted mm-hmm. uh, often are, are very active are very um, involved in wanting to learn more about their as they uh, should be. As that was what I was going to say. So, talk in in practicality. Uh, how do parents, uh, or should parents, facilitate that, uh, Stephanie? We do at our house. We're open about that, um, unless there's something that's really inappropriate to what we feel is safe for the other people in the home. Um, but we want them to be able to to. Uh, learn who they are and to be part of their culture, and, and a lot of that includes music and dress. And something we try to encourage families before their children are, are reach this age is to make certain that their child has role models and, and opportunities. Yes, uh, to starting be from the beginning, not yeah. waiting till they're be teenagers yet, that they've been exposed to that from since they joined your family. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. a, a Sometimes a part of the work I do is it's tough because you might have parents that are like very conservative about the types of music or the types of clothing a child would wear when the child is just really they're just exploring. They're kind of trying things on. They're seeing how it feels for them. Um, It's also it's kind of a way of expressing feelings or thoughts. Uh, Often parents will try to clamp down on these things um, so part of my job as counselor might be to say, well, you know, this is a, an important time for them to be exploring. And it's kind of like, you know, giving a message, well, is it worth a battle? Like, you know, is it really worth a conflict and um, kind of creating a barrier for your child to not have the ability to wear certain things or explore certain types of music? And I understand that each family has their own sense of like what is respectful or what is permitted so it's it's a it's a really it's a it could be a difficult time for a family coming to terms with this mhm yes um all right i'd like to end with uh getting some tips and tricks from you two uh on uh how to talk with tweens and teens about adoption uh Stephanie, I'm going to start with you. You, t- you drew the short straw on that one. 
So, oh, dear. Uh, and then I'm going <laughs> to alternate, go to Sean, and then come back to you. Uh, so what uh, what would be a tip for, um, as parents are entering the tweens and teen, with their children's tweens and teen years, for um, keeping the, the adoption discussion going? Uh, I think, um, oh, gosh, now I'm going to go blank here, Don. Um, <laughs> but I think as, you know, just keeping the relationship, it's such an important thing to keep that relationship as they be, become into the teen and tween years. Um, in our house, which is different than so many other people, adoption is talked about on a daily basis because all of the children are adopted and they are different colors. And my job is as an adoption professional. And so it's something that we talk about every single day. And when we go to the store, people make it a point to let us know that that my children are adopted. Um, I like what you so, said about focus on relationship. As somebody who's yeah uh, children, yeah. Uh, and I've worked with teens for many years in, in our church, and I think that so many of us as adults uh, have such a negative attitude about uh, about those years, and, and we forget that mm-hmm. that these are such a great, they're such such an interesting time, and that really basically what we have going for us is our relationship, and we should keep focusing and keep having fun with our kids. Uh, Sean, exactly. on, on um, uh, another tip or a trick. Yes, well, kind of picking up on what we just discussed here, the importance of con- staying connected. I notice uh, this could be a time of a family's life where there's a lot of conflict. And I notice even in like our setting here in counseling, sometimes the conflict often revolve around things like school success Mm. Um, so I tell the parents, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what their grades are going to be. The primary concern you have as a parent is your attachment to them. So just being, you know, um, more open to that relationship and having, uh, not taking opportunities for more conflict and certainly things like school, that's always, it's so big at this age. Um, and we just let the another, school take care of that as much as we I can. hope so. Oh, yeah. that would be music to my ears. We just if leave that, that out of our family <laughs> equation because yes. it's not worth that. Yes, yes. Parents leave the school at school. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so there's so much more to say about that. But one other quick tip is um, being a good role model for your children. If you, as a parent, are showing your kids that you are comfortable talking about adoption and you are interested in having that as discussion in your home, you know, the kids have a choice. Either they kind of follow along with it or they won't, but at least you've, you've let it, you've created a space for it. So many parents do not create a space. They kind of think, well, my child hasn't brought this up, so neither am I. Um, but I don't think that's a good idea. I think it's better if we as parents, we uh, we role model uh, the desire to have that in our homes, the discussion. Uh, I will throw a tip out there. Uh, oftentimes discussions happen better when we're not sitting and facing each other, where we're looking mm-hmm. into each other's eyes. That might have worked when our kids were younger, but our uh, tweens and teens often are more open to discussions when they're not having to look at us. The in the famous thing that all parents say and is so incredibly true is conversations in the car when the kids are in the back seat and you're exactly. in the front. Exactly. And the other one is at bedtime when the lights are out and you go in and you're giving them a back rub and 
um, bringing up an issue then uh, in the safety of, of the darkness, uh, uh, they oftentimes will uh, be more open to discussions, um, albeit sometimes at bedtime is not the best time to bring up something really heavy. But, but, but uh, so um, uh, creating opportunities, uh, that's the, the hardest part when my children started driving uh, was I really, really missed the opportunities to talk with them in the car. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Um, on the other hand, I certainly uh, gained a lot of time, so I guess it's a mixed emotion. All right. Uh, Stephanie, any other yes. tips or tricks you can think of? I just think, you know, do all you can to have fun and to play. Um, your kids still want that. Uh, and it's hard when they become that age and they're too cool to hang out with their parents. But you can find something that they want to do and that they will do. And I think you just do everything you can to to enjoy the connection you have and to bring some happiness and some fun into your relationship. Uh, Sean, I'll give you the the last one. Uh, and you can say you could say two if you have them. Uh, <laughs> tips and sure. tricks. Yep, and Stephanie, I like we've talked multiple times here about kind of being like using humor and having more mm-hmm. relaxed attitude. If you could be patient and have humor in your dialogues with your kids, you will be successful. It doesn't matter what the issue is. You don't have to have answers. You don't have to be an expert. I mean, truly, if you could just be patient, have humor and creativity, you will succeed. And be approachable, yes. Yes, be yeah. open. And, and, and being approachable is a lot by keeping humor and keeping things relaxed. Yeah. It makes you approachable. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so very much uh, for uh, talking with us today, Sean Delahant and uh, Stephanie Ellison. Uh, this is an important topic, and we truly appreciate your uh your your expertise here and your willingness to share it. I do want to remind everyone that keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice. And to understand how it applies to your specific situation, please work with your adoption professional. Uh, thank you for joining us today, and if you have a moment, we would love for you to give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, that's how we have maintained our uh, top ranking. We would very much appreciate it if you would do that again. Let me mention and remind you that uh, it is through the gold sponsors that we are able to bring you this show. I mentioned a few at the beginning. I'd like to mention a a few more. We have Nightlight Christian Adoption. They have been helping children connect with loving families for more than 50 years, and they now have offices from coast to coast. And we have Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed and accredited nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They have three adoption programs, Private Infant, International, and Adoption Through Foster Care. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know that you will probably want to get some information about uh, either of our uh, guests today. You can get information on Sean. Uh, He is with the Center for Adoption Support and Education, and their website is adoptionsupport.org. Uh, to get information or to uh, get uh, connect with Stephanie, she is with Children's House International, and their website is childrenshouseinternational.com. 
Thanks for joining us, and I will see you again next week. And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's what, man. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. moon. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.